ladies' night. I just realized. A lot of ladies. There's some ladies in this house tonight. Uh, if you want to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation, you can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at, I believe it's Courtney R. Cronin. Yeah. The R stands for? Rosalind, my middle name. Rosalind, okay. Good to know. Uh, yes, it's ladies' night. We're going to get to a lot of good NBA and NFL stuff, but let's start with the NBA stuff, Courtney. I heard our own Zach Lowe called the trade sending Wall uh, and Westbrook uh, swapping positions the most depressing trade in the history of the NBA. Uh, and Kevin Pelton, ESPN NBA writer, was on the Hoop Collective podcast and was equally despondent about the move. Here's what he said. So he's mostly saying it's just not that exciting when two guys ask out and just get swapped because there's no other options contract-wise. And then Zach Lowe was mostly depressed about the fact that when you give these super maxes that are meant to help teams stay with the team that they they, they were drafted by, and, and especially small market teams, they almost immediately become albatrosses, regardless of whether they're good players, unless they are the very best. How do you see this deal? Is it depressing you as well on this Thursday? I've been reading everybody's grades uh, from a bunch of NBA insiders, like what they're giving uh, both the you know Houston and and Washington uh, and DC about this. So I'm just like. There's not a lot of buzz around it. I mean, it just kind of right. seems like, all right, this happened. Um, you're swapping point guards. You're you have a player in John Wall who hasn't played since December 2018. Who knows if he's going to return to form? You have Russell Westbrook. Can he return back to the form pre-COVID or pre-bubble before he got COVID? I don't know. I just feel like the way that I look at this, I'm just kind of meh on it like I, I don't know I, the NBA like everybody gets traded it feels like once a week uh once the t- <laughs> as we get closer to the I think deadline that's just Russell Westbrook <laughs> yes uh, we, when it, last week it was I remember um we had Kevin Pelton on uh, uh Freddie and Fitzsimmons and we were talking about the possibility of this happening and it just kind of felt like even at that point there wasn't it's was kind of like well if it happens it happens great but there was no excitement around it. And right. like you mentioned with the, you know, with Wall's contract, he's already still owed $130 million over the next three seasons. That is an albatross. Like you can't get away from that. Um, and all the Rockets, you know, you know, getting the, you have the, the protected first round pick. Um, if he doesn't regain the ability that he had pre Achilles and then the injury or before that, um, they're gonna they're not gonna have a tradable contract for the next three seasons. And I think they're taking a really big gamble on something that just might not pan out to be that great. Yeah, I think to your point about the grades, if one team's getting like a C plus and the other's getting a D, it, it might explain some of the lack of enthusiasm, right? No one's a big winner in this, and that's why it, it it's really tough to swap massive salaries. It's really weird for Russell Westbrook to be an MVP just a couple years ago and then be traded in consecutive years. This is the guy who was all NBA just this season. This calendar year he was. Um, and I think Ramona Shelburne is going to join us in a couple minutes. We'll probably have some insight as to why Harden was so adamant about not wanting to play with Westbrook anymore. It's not like John Wall is this significantly different player. He's not great off ball. I think those two guys are tops in the league, I want to say. One and two even in most dribbles per possession. Um, 
and then Wall and Westbrook have some surprising qualities that are, uh, and, and by that I meant Harden and Wall in terms of the dribbles, but then Wall and Westbrook have similarities. There was a stat I saw that only uh, uh, 78 players in the last five seasons have taken at least 2,000 jump shots, and Wall is 77th out of 78 in effective field goal percentage. Westbrook is 78. Okay, so the very <laughs> bottom two people in effective field goal percentage who have shot as much as they have... That's not a replacement. If 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 Harden didn't like the style of Westbrook, Wall is not that different. Um, I think that there was, according to reports, a preference from Harden to play with Wall. And then in the case of the Wizards, it does make them better, right? Like you said, it's been 700-something days since they've seen Wall. Beal, according to some reports, didn't feel like John Wall was treating his rehab as carefully and with as much passion as he should. So there was a break there that needed to be... Those guys need to be separated, and the Wizards need to see if they could keep Wall there. Adding Westbrook makes them a better team, and it's worth a shot. As for Houston, this feels like it's just the first step before they will also trade Harden. This isn't going to keep Harden there. They've gotten worse. Now, of course, this is a guy who's consistently asking, bring me this guy. No, 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 I want to play with this guy. Oh, trade away our center. Let's go full small ball. Let's get this guy. And now that it's clear that they're going to be in rebuild mode, he wants out. And when you're one of the best players, you could do that, Courtney. But he's got a couple years left on a massive deal. And so what he's saying is, I want this this franchise to reinvent itself over and over for me. And then when it looks like the options are out, I want I want to leave. And leave them with the shambles of what they created to try to please me. That's what I'm wondering is going to happen. What, they've got a couple more weeks or they could trade him, I guess, closer to the deadline. Like, he's next. That's, that's the obvious yeah. thing I think most here, think but... it's going to be midseason. But he's going to have to be a good soldier and make his trade value go as high as he can before exactly, they decide to find someone have, who wants him. He doesn't have any leverage right now to force his way out. I mean, unless mm-hmm. he wants to pull a Jimmy Butler and be like a problem um, mm-hmm. and just be a distraction of what like what the thing happened with the Timberwolves a few years ago. Um, because the Rockets are going to ask for everything. I mean, they're, re- they're very much rebuilding, like you said. They're going to want draft capital for the next five years. And I don't know how they're going to be able to you know, to really pull that off and get the value that they think they should for um, James Harden. But it's just so weird to me how quickly all of that sort of deteriorated, I guess, because, Mm -hmm. you know, James Harden's moved teammates in and out. I mean, it was Chris Paul, bring him in, move him out. And now it's the same thing with Russell Westbrook. Do we have to, like, look at the player and be like, are you the problem? Or is everybody else that you're bringing in and then, you know, trying to get away from? I mean, what is The problem is, is I think it's all of them. Look at the players. Harden, Paul, and Westbrook all have a reputation for not always being someone other people want to play with. I understand it. I just feel like at this point, when you are James Harden, if you want to trade and apparently he wants to go to Brooklyn or whatever, um, that's great and everything, but you're going to have to do your part. You're going to have to play with John Wall long enough to be able to get yourself traded. And I actually, I love this. Um, I have to you know, note this really quick. Vincent Goodwill of, of Yahoo Sports summed it up better than I could. He said the writing's on the wall. The writing was on the wall for Wall when it looked like destiny was out of his hands of Bradley Beal. And he'd have to be more Michelle than Beyonce. So to Houston he goes. It makes complete <laughs> sense. So how is that going to work in Houston? Like, can mm-hmm. he can he mold into that role? I mean, is he even going to be anywhere close to the same player? I mean, he's not who he's not like a great form if he's not that athletic, super freak athlete that he was three years ago. Now the good news is those who have worked out with him have felt enthused 
by how he looks. Uh, mm-hmm. but of course, that's yet to be seen in the game. Uh, we're going to get some more insight on this coming up with Ramona Shelburne. This is Spain and Fitz brought to you by my computer career training for a better life. A little bit more after the break. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast on the ESPN app, Apple, iTunes, the podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts. In case you missed something, you can always get to the podcast later. Joining us now on the Shell Penzoil Performance on ESPN.com, senior writer Ramona Shelburne, who uh, almost went the distance and around the horde today and then accidentally used <laughs> a banned word right in the show. Uh. It, was, it was just tragic timing. Uh, Ramona, uh. we were just talking about this Wall-Westbrook trade, and I think the most fascinating part, we've kind of gotten through the what they mean to the teams they've just arrived on as themselves individually, but what mm-hmm. this means for Harden and the Rockets rebuild. Can you kind of can, uh, take a guess, look a couple weeks, a couple months in the future, and mm-hmm. what this could mean for Harden in Houston? Yeah, I'm one of those people who thinks that this means Harden gets traded. Um, that I don't think they wanted to trade him before they traded Russell Westbrook. Um, I think is now that they've traded Westbrook that it kind of – um, you know, give now that now they feel like they can get the best return for James and they're going to try to make it work. They're going to try to patch up that relationship, but now you're not fielding offers for James under duress, right? You're not fielding offers when the team's, you know, imploding and there's bad off season news and there's, you know, he, he's put a, rec- you know, he's, he's let it be known. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't believe in it. Right. Like you never want to trade a superstar under those conditions. You're not going to get the best return for them. You want to trade a superstar um, when they're playing great, when people don't really see it coming. Um, and, I, and I think that they don't have to be in any hurry. They can take their time because, you know, I, I, it reminds me a little bit of the Lakers back in 2007, I guess, think it was. And I remember Kobe Bryant went on this, like, tour of all the radio stations and telling everyone how he wanted to be traded because Dr. Buss promised him that they would have a championship team around him and he's got Swoosh Parker and Andrew Bynum. And this is like right after the parking lot meltdown. Remember when he was like saying they should trade Bynum for Jason Kidd in the parking lot. (laughs) And then, you know, the Lakers had a few deals. I mean, you know, Kobe told me at the time, like I was picking out a property in Chicago. I was going to be on the Bulls. Um, But Dr. Buss basically said, I'm sorry. I know you want to be traded, and I know that we've let you down in terms of the team we've put around you, but we're going to work on that. And stick with us here. Um, I don't want to trade you for what's out there right now because the packages that we're being presented are just not worth it, and I can't trade you for a substandard package. I get that. And it worked out for the Lakers. Like Kobe, Andrew Bynum got good. They traded for Pau Gasol that year, and they, they went to the championship in 2008. Now, they lost to the Celtics, but... Like, I think that's Houston's ideal scenario. I think that's what they're hoping happens. Like, okay, change of, change of system, change of pace, change of personnel. Uh, maybe they can repair the relationship with James and, it, and they don't have to trade him. But if it doesn't go well, um, you just take your time. You have, you have plenty of time. He's got three years on his deal. There's no, he has no leverage to force a trade here except to make himself um, a distraction to the team like Jimmy Butler did in Minnesota. Hey, Ramona, I heard Woj on Get Up this morning saying that Harden uh-huh. had a preference of John Wall over Westbrook, and it kind of made my mind wonder mm-hmm. how did that relationship deteriorate so quickly? Because I thought, you know, the whole thing was with the culture that they were trying to build yeah. in Houston, you know, it's those two keeping each other accountable and all of that, and James Harden has been known of moving teammates in and out, bringing Chris Paul in, sending yep. him out. Now the same thing with Russell Westbrook. To your knowledge, like – 
what happened? Like, how did that fallout within a year happen so quickly? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I took a trip to Oklahoma. Um, I don't know. I guess it was five or six years ago at this point. And if you've been to Oklahoma City and you see how that franchise is run, it is like every single thing that you could possibly think of that the players might need. Like they got grass-fed beef jerky and bison jerky, and um, they got every single perfect kind of sports energy drink there. And almost to the point where, like, I found it a little stifling. Like, I was there, and I was like, oh, my God, I just need to go through a drive-thru. Like, everything here (laughs) is so healthy and so well-organized. And, like, let's either drink a beer or go through a drive-thru because this is just, like, driving me nuts, right? So Russ loved that. Russ loves order and cleanliness and structure and, you know, the, the, the what they had in Oklahoma City. And I think he got to Houston, and they run things very differently there, and, and it's really kind of based off of James's personal style, Mike D'Antoni's personal style. I mean, Mike D'Antoni, when he was the coach in Phoenix, I remember I learned this real early on. Like, if they tell you practice is going to be at, you know, 10 a.m., you should get there. Normally, at an NBA team, they say, practice at 10. You probably do media around 11, 11, 15. If they tell you practice is a Mike D'Antoni practice at 10, you should get there at 10 because they're probably just going to go and get some shots up for like 20 minutes and then do media. They'll be done. Mm. (laughs) Like that's not a, you know, that is not that the kind of structure and culture that Russ had by any shape or form in Oklahoma city. And some of that's James, some of that's Daryl Morey, some of that's Mike D'Antoni, like their own personal style. But I, I really think, Russ is, was just like very strange fit there culturally, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean like, you know, Houston. I just mean the way that team operated. It's just very different than the way he was in Oklahoma city. I think he's gonna be great in Washington. I mean, him and Scotty Brooks had a great relationship uh, when Scotty was the coach in Oklahoma city. Um, they've, he understands Russ. I mean, and I think you have to understand Russ in order to coach him. Like, you know, if you, the, the longer I spent out in Oklahoma, the more around Russ, the more I understood, like, he's a different kind of cat. I mean, he just, you know, he, he likes things the way he likes them. He likes, you know, how, how things, how he, he doesn't want to have any deviation from his schedule, his, his planning, his, you know, the way he's doing things. And that is, that is not what he found in Houston. And so I think that's why this, this really um, has changed. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin with you on ESPN Radio, talking to ESPN.com, senior writer Ramona Shelburne. Kind of quickly, Ramona, I I found it interesting on Around the Horn and on the call today, you were talking about um, the Lakers' decision to sign those longer deals. And it kind of reminded me, I forgot about how LeBron always used to do a year deal plus in in Cleveland. It was, you need to show me year after year that you're going to surround me with the right people in order for me to stick around. There's no reason for me to sign a long-term deal. I can get as much as I want right away. Uh, why yep. do you think both he and Anthony Davis decided to go for length? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the right question. I mean, it, you know, I've it, first of all, Jeannie Buss is not Dan Gilbert. So I think that the Lakers organization has proved enough to him and to Anthony Davis that they are willing to do and spend whatever it takes to surround them with talent and surround them with the kind of team that can compete for a championship. Um, so, you know, that's why he, he gave up some of that leverage. But I also think, especially for LeBron, He's going to be 36 this month, and he had a great year. He finished second MVP voting, won the finals MVP. But can you really expect that you're going to that you're going to get that you're going to have that kind of a year every single year as you go into your late 30s? Because 
the history of every other player in the NBA says that that's going to be hard, right? No matter how great a shape he keeps himself in, it's, you know, Stephen A. Smith always says his father time is undefeated. And I think LeBron looked at the situation and said, look, you know, I had a great, I had a great year this year. We had a great year this year. But if this would have been last season, after he had the groin injury, after they missed the playoffs, would the Lakers have offered this deal? Maybe not. Yeah. It's it's interesting uh, how quickly they went from, ha-ha, what a terrible front office. Magic Johnson quits midseason. What's Rob Palenka Amazing. doing? LeBron's only there to go to uh, start his Hollywood career. To Oh, they won, and now they're going <laughs> to yeah. win for a while. Uh, Ramona, thanks as always for the time. Appreciate it. Yep, well, we were. Uh, those are all narratives and all words that I would get banned, on, banned for saying on uh, <laughs> around the horn, and yet I Listen, do it Listen, the anyway. optics. It happens. It's the I, optics. I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the optics and the damn narratives, man. I had it. Although Bob uh, Ryan had a really good FaceTime, so it was okay. He really did. It was it was a worthy <laughs> FaceTime. Uh, ESPN.com, senior yeah. writer Ramona Schauburn. Thanks, Momo. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, Spain and Company. Spain and Fitz, someone wrote Spain and Company on the screen, and I read it because I'm Ron Burgundy. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio is brought to you by Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Thanks for nothing, Stosh. Mina Kimes is coming up next here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're going to talk NFL, which means we got to bring in a friend who knows more about the NFL than anyone. And we have to start by not talking football at all, because Mina Kimes, I have a very important question for you. Thank you for joining us, first of all. And lots of conversation about you being the phone a friend on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and helping your chef friend win a million dollars for his his charitable cause. Uh, And I was curious, and I remember looking this up years ago, and I didn't know if it had developed in the years since. If you're a phone a friend person, there was that scandal with the guy who cheated with Google. Did you have surveillance during the time that, that you might be getting the call from him? Was anybody watching you to make sure that you didn't just Google which president had electricity first? No, I, everyone keeps asking me that. I thought they were going to FaceTime me, actually, because I figured that would be an easy way of knowing. But no, they just called. I mean, it was just the phone rang, and it was Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but then I was as, like, as it is, I think usually, I was, yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I think <laughs> I was too nervous to do anything because I was just so worried about hearing the question. And then I, I didn't like account for the amount of time. It goes really quickly, and my friend, God bless him, took forever to ask the dang question. Right. Right. So by the time I had time to answer, I think I had like 10 seconds. And, and I equivocated too much as well. I barely got it out. Wow, that's fast. I just assumed that they would be able to quickly read the question and say, all right, Mina, which president had electricity first? And then you just Google that. And then, you know, so uh, so you really knew the answer. That's even more impressive. Even more impressive. Um, yeah, I'd have to be pretty quick on the Google. But I, I also, I think... I wish I had practiced talking more efficiently or, or yeah. Anyways, right. It's not like I do that. It's for just a your job. Right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Courtney, you got questions for Mina about football? I do. I didn't know if we were still on who wants to yeah. be a millionaire. No, no, no. I mean, if, well, if you have any millionaire questions, feel free to jump in on that. Too. You could combine them. Too. Or, or can, presidents can, with yeah, electricity. Give you a 50-50. Yeah. Or... That's fair. <laughs> I'm still, I mean, my equilibrium is still a little off. Uh, just having Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon football. I know. Horrendous game that we watched uh, yesterday. The uh, junior varsity game, as, as Mike Tomlin called it. Uh, the type of win that the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers had. Um I try to like think about who's the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC playoff race, and I don't think it's Pittsburgh. But how Ooh. good 
are the Steelers, in your opinion? Because we've, you know, I've had this argument, like, are they just the team with the best record or are they the best team in the NFL right now? Uh, I think they're good. I don't think they're the best team in the NFL. I think the Chiefs and, you know, it, it's not particularly close. Uh, but it was either conference, I want to be clear, NFC or AFC. Um, I think the question of who might give them the best competition in the AFC is a really interesting one because it becomes kind of a more philosophical question about how do you best play the Chiefs? Is it with a offense where you can get in a track meet with them like the Raiders have twice now? Or is it with a, a team like Pittsburgh that has a stifling defense? I think losing Bud Dupree for the season uh, is really huge for a team. He's been so excellent this year, and it's still a great pass rush without him, but that's a big loss. Uh, a team I'm going to be watching with a lot of curiosity down the stretch is the Buffalo Bills because – in terms of the AFC, because that defense has actually really quietly been getting better and better. Even as Josh Allen, MVP, has lost some steam over the last month or so, the team has looked more balanced, and I think that would serve them well in the playoffs. Mina Kimes with us here, ESPN NFL analyst on Spain and Fitz. What what do you make of the reaction from the NFL to the COVID stuff? There were so many people who could not get it through their thick skulls that the difference between the Broncos and the Ravens was an uncontrolled spread. They don't care yeah. how bad you're going to play. They just care whether you can play without spreading the virus. Could they have communicated that better? You know, from what Roger Goodell said during the game on Wednesday afternoon, are you are you impressed by them being able to keep playing and not really canceling games? Mm. Or does it feel so tenuous right now? Well, I think there's two separate questions. Um, there's the competitive balance question. Like, are we getting a fair season? Are these fair yeah. games? Are are they actual football games? I mean, I watched Broncos Saints. That was not an NFL game. Forget Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday was glorious compared to that game. So uh, there's that question. And then there's the question of public safety or, or, you know, public health rather, which is should they be doing this at all going forward with these games? Are they taking the right approach? Um, I think the latter question, I don't think there's a strong difference between games and having the season at all. Like, I don't think it's more dangerous for, say, them for to have the Ravens play with the feeling that they've got the outbreak under control than it is for them to be playing in, at all in any capacity. So you, I, it's kind of a ones and zeros thing for me at this point with the season happening. I don't think they're making it more dangerous uh, with their decision-making. I think you can argue that having it at all was more dangerous. The competitive balance thing is interesting because, or the quality of the games, I think that ship kind of sailed early on when they decided to have the Niners in the past play. Um, and, you know, so then when you look at teams like the Broncos or the Ravens this week and people say, well, they shouldn't have to play. And then people say, well, they already had the Pets play. You know, two wrongs <laughs> make a right attitude. I, 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 I've been on the record about this. I'm befuddled that, you know, more flexibility wasn't built in the schedule right. to account for this. Um, and I don't think it's too late, but I do. I understand the NFL's position that a lot of people would be very, very whiny about it if they did change it on the fly. So a rare moment maybe of self-actualization, if you want to call it that, uh, from Adam Gase today, that he, you know, admitting he came to help Sam Darnold uh, help him develop mm. his career and that he has not been able to do that. Um, I guess it's kind of like, okay, we all knew this, but to hear a head coach say that, you know, somebody who's seven and 20 uh, presiding over the NFL's worst offense for the better part of the last two seasons. Um, 
my question to you is, I mean, is he broken re- beyond repair? Because it kind of feels like the Jets no. ruined him. But can you actually, is there a way for him to bounce back once, you know, once they clear house, clean house with the mm. Jets next year? Well, Courtney, I like to think none of us are broken beyond repair. You know, it's a long life. And uh, <laughs> at some point, we can all Speak turn it for around. yourself, no, I mean, Mina. I, all, you have to do, all you have to do is uh, look at Tennessee and look at the career of Ryan Tannehill and think that there can be hope for sure. any quarterback to not only make a comeback, but like become one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL and one of their teams. Um, Darnold, I, I, this is not a the bold or unusual view, I, I find it impossible to evaluate him given the situation that he's been in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, all that said, there are pieces in New York that I do like. I think they've had some really good drafts and some decent uh, free agent acquisitions over the last couple of years. So you could see a scenario easily how with the right coach, things could turn around for him. But I, I think that it's going to – it's going to take that and better pass protection, just the combination of those things for us to get a real sense of whether or not he's got a future in this league. Mina, your Seahawks uh, are getting wide receiver, Josh Gordon. He's going to be reinstated for the last two weeks of this season. Any expectations? Yeah, actually, Um, you know, Josh did play. First of all, I think it's great that he's being reinstated. Um, and I'm kind of I was mystified that it was taking so long for the NFL. Um, you know, he was suspended for something that is legal in the state where he plays football, and that's right. that's the nature of the NFL. Um, but I think we saw with him develop pretty nice chemistry with Russell Wilson last season. They've stayed in touch. Um, Wilson seems thrilled that he's coming back. And, you know, this is already a really dangerous receiving group. Um, and so to just, it's not like Gordon's having to come in and save the day. He's coming in and being a complimentary piece, whether that's maybe taking a little bit heat off of DK Metcalf running go routes or slants and short yardage. I joked to my friend that it, it's like a Spider-Man meme with DK Metcalf, only two really buff Spider-Man. Uh, if you could imagine that, um, they definitely have the, maybe the most jacked wide receiver group in the NFL right now, but I, I think <laughs> he can contribute. And then of course, this is a playoff bound team. Most likely so, you know, even if he's just coming in for the end of the season, he can also help out down the stretch in the playoff run. Well, uh, I when he's great, he is great and super fun to watch. Yeah. So um, not that you guys need any more super powered <laughs> wide receivers, but for his sake, I hope it works out. Mina, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. The best call a friend, phone a friend at ESPN. It's Mina Kimes. Also quite good on the NFL. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. We're just talking about, are the Steelers really that great? I saw a stat about Ben Roethlisberger today that blew my mind. We'll get into where he fits in to a certain conversation around the NFL coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If I told you that the quarterback for the undefeated 11-0 team in the NFL was 28th in the league in yards per attempt and 31st in yards per completion, you'd probably think it was a team that was based entirely on the run game, maybe a defense that was absolutely lights on. Yeah, there's some of that, but it is shocking to me 
that Ben Roethlisberger is near the bottom of the league in those categories. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We were chatting about Deshaun Watson and everything that he's done despite a terrible Texans team. And Courtney Cronin said, well, what about Ben Roethlisberger? Is he in the MVP conversation simply because he's the starting quarterback for the team with the best record in the league? And I hadn't even considered that. So, Courtney, give me the argument for why a guy who, curious statistics that I just relayed there, um, would be someone that maybe people would have to consider. Well, I think first off, if they go 16-0, and you're going to get that argument of, okay, this is history. Who quarterbacked this team to history? And I think that that at least is where the conversation would start. And let's be clear. I mean, he's – I just wrote an MVP piece. Uh, we – vote on this every six weeks there's a panel of eight of us um and just kind of went through his numbers and yeah he's on pace to throw for over 4,000 yards maybe get to the 40 touchdown mark probably not it'll probably be a really high 30s but in fewer than 10 interceptions like those are really good numbers and he's actually putting up some of the best numbers of his recent career um you know highest passer rating since 2014 so I think that you look at the body of work of this guy who came off an off-season surgery. They were 8-8 eight and eight without him last year, and now they're 11-0. and 0. That's why he's at least in the conversation right now. Like, let's not kid ourselves, though, Sarah. Like, this is Patrick Mahomes' award. Like, he probably clinched it last week with what he did in the first half against Tampa Bay. But I do think that you will have people, if the Steelers can continue, you know, marching towards perfection. I mean, they've got five games left, and they all seem pretty doable. Um that he's going to be in that conversation till the end. And there's going to be a compelling argument if you just look at the body of work of what he's done for this team this year, a team that, you know, has recovered quite nicely after shipping off, you know, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. We started the season with our eyes on Russell Wilson and how he had never received so much as an MVP vote. And because of the conversation around let Russ cook, because the Seahawks were Uh, in a change of pace, throwing on a lot of early downs and letting Russ do a lot more. Um, That offense, especially in stark contrast to the defense in Seattle, was was drawing all of our attention, and he was the front runner. Were we silly to have not just presumed Patrick Mahomes to be the guy that you would need to wrestle this award from and, and, and so outperform? Or do we see this as a sort of whose turn is it like we often see in the NBA where we're, we're overlooking him because he already won it a couple years ago? Probably the former because they looked so good the first six weeks of the season. And then they come out, um, I think they, they had the week six bye. So they come out in like week seven and they just look terrible. Uh, they lost three or four games. You know, he threw seven of his ten interceptions. This is what this is the Seahawks and Wilson. This yeah. is this, yeah, Seattle. And you know, I think that that's kind of the part where at least he put the dagger into his MVP chances, or at least like dropped them significantly. But you're right. I mean, the Seattle defense—that's not the entire reason that his chances to win this award have tanked. Um, you know, you, he can't constantly overcome the deficiencies of one of the worst passing defenses in NFL history. And I think the Seahawks, at least recently, in the and, and yeah, they, they played Philly on Monday night, and it was a dumb game, like not good. But you know, in those two games against Arizona and Philadelphia, they're not letting Russ Cook be the mm-hmm. end all be all to why they're winning games. Like and the defense finding- is playing better. Better, so that means yes. he doesn't have to be chasing from behind exactly. and potentially making mistakes because he's forcing because he has to outdo what what they're setting him up for on the other side of the ball. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and I think that he's still in a good spot, but again, this still feels like a two-horse race between Patrick Mahomes and and Aaron Rodgers, but even then, how much space between Mahomes and Rodgers there is, like separating one and two, it's considerable. I mean, I really do think this war this award has already been decided, but it's crazy to me we were looking at this um, you know, the first 6 weeks of the season, it's a it, it's completely flipped. I mean, but should we have expected that? Probably, because it's Patrick Mahomes. And yeah, he hmm. won the award in 2018. He's probably going to win it again this year. He's probably going to win Super Bowl MVP on top of that. I mean, it's the era of Mahomes. And so he's always going to be in the mix as long as he can stay healthy. It's Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin with you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You actually did a story on this, so I'm going to keep picking your brain because you did all the legwork today. And if anyone wants to check it out, it's on .com, NFL MVP Watch 2020, with a list of the top five, who else is in the conversation, who's just missing. And you've got, you know, Mahomes on top. What could Aaron Rodgers do? And, And is there an element of sort of, narrative that goes along with this beyond just the numbers that would that would be required in order for him to flip-flop with Mahomes? I think he's got a lot of ground to make up. And yeah, I mean, his numbers to where he's been at, you know, the, the last few weeks and throwing four touchdowns against the Bears on Sunday night football. And he's got four of his last five games are against teams with losing records. Like, so if you want a stat pad, if you want to make your numbers, you know, some of the best of your career, um, he's got a perfect opportunity to do that down the stretch. Um, But I think what they've done, like if he can make the push for the number one seed, if somehow they can unseat the saints from where they're currently at um, and everybody made the argument of like, okay, the reason his candidacy is like really legit this year is because he doesn't have a lot around him. And that's, what's making it that impressive. Like I want to see that level of Aaron Rodgers the next five games of the season, because that to me is going to show, you know, he really is the MVP. I mean, I think he, honestly, he was even in that mix last year when they still didn't have enough uh, receiving options around him. But again, I know I keep going back to this. I just feel like there's too much ground at this point, almost to make up against Mahomes. Like the, the chiefs would have to, start losing uh, a couple more games. And I know that we talked with Mina about the Steelers are like, they the biggest threat to Kansas city. I don't, I don't think so. Honestly, in the playoffs, I think it's the Raiders. So, you know, maybe they stumble a little bit, but I just can't see that happening. And I can't see anybody unseating Mahomes right now. You've got Derrick Henry in at number five and Mm -hmm. there used to be, or at least it feels to me, there used to be more of a chance for positional players outside of quarterbacks to win this award. And in recent years, it has felt like it is almost entirely about quarterbacks. But this is a guy who is on pace to potentially uh, be the first back-to-back rushing title uh, holder since LaDainian Tomlinson back in 2006 and seven. right? Yep. Um, this is not something that is, is as common as it used to be in the NFL, especially how many teams are using running back by committee or we're seeing the devaluing of the position, but this guy is still doing amazing things we haven't seen before. Well, you've got the odds at plus 4,000. Is there anything he could do aside from just continuing to do what he's doing and hope some of those quarterbacks throw some more picks? I mean, December has been a really good month to him historically. I know we talk about running backs and workload and wearing down, and and that's just, like, not been the case with Derrick Henry in 2018 and 2019. Um, In in both of those seasons, he's rushed for 500 or more yards in the month of December. So if history is any sort of indication here, he's going to win a second rushing title. 
he's probably going to at least work himself maybe like one or two spots higher if, if the Steelers lose a couple games, if Roethlisberger just doesn't look that great. But I still don't think that's a it's a running back award. Like, I mean, we've known historically, at least that last few years, like this is the – it should be called the NFL quarterback MVP award, and they should have something else for everybody else. Or as Greeny said, just call it the Patrick Mahomes MVP award that then gets doled out to someone other than him because otherwise he would get it every year because what Absolutely. we're witnessing is just beyond um, – I see, uh, see Stosh smiling over there about his uh, his quarterback that's going to lead his team to success for years to come. Meanwhile, some of us have never had a quarterback in our lifetime, but that's a tale for another time. This is Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. It's Spain and Fitz coming up. Mike Tomlin's remarks about that Steelers win, and what do we make of what Roger Goodell said? You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Welcome back to Spain and Fit. Sarah Spain with you as always on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin hanging out like back in the Spain and Company days. She's filling in for Fitz tonight. We're uh, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. You can always join us by joining Spain and Fitz Nation, hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. And some of you already have. At 7676er said in response to our question of whether or not the league will manage to make it to the end of the regular season without canceling a game, I think that they will cancel all games with no playoff implications. Now, there's a part of me that would have agreed. But then I thought about what really motivates the league and the world, really. And I agree much more with at JYMZ2, who just wrote like $11 symbols and wrote, yes, they will They will make it to the end of the season without canceling a game because Monday. Uh, and then also hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, uh, the news for Spain and Fitz Nation coming from at Vin Trouble. Yes, they have proven over and over again, they don't give a F. <laughs> so uh, some combination of those things. I don't know if it's that they don't give an F, but they just might not give enough Fs to prioritize it over money, Courtney. And that's why I think they will find a way to get in all the games in the regular season. Yeah, because players, you know, for every game that's canceled, players don't get their game check. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I think you need to, you know, keep in the forefront here. And the league wouldn't get get their TV money. Exactly. I mean, that's even more than what an entire team would miss out on. I know when they were throwing out the possibility of a forfeiture with the Ravens-Steelers game last week that, you know, based on what every player made on either team, I think it was losses of upwards like 11 to 13 million collectively mm-hmm. just for one game. And players players are not going to do that. Like I, like I said, they're going to crash and burn, stumble their way into the finish line, but come hell or high water, they are getting the season played. And I do not think we're going to see a Week 18 because they had every chance to add it with the Ravens-Steelers game, um, considering there was a positive test as of you know game day. But it's going to happen one way or the other. An interesting thing that you just touched on uh, in the last segment was the 49ers having to move to Arizona for the entire month because of a ruling in Santa Clara County about athletics and gatherings. And Kyle Shanahan today, the coach of the 49ers, urged players to look out for their teammates' mental health uh, and understand the stresses of being away from family for a whole month, particularly around the holidays, and moving somewhere and being sort of Uh, all football, all the time. He said, it's just understanding that it's human nature. Some stuff's going to come up over the next three weeks and no one ignore it. So Courtney, you've been closer to the players and coaches and team than anybody. These beat reporters that are dealing with the Zoom interviews and the access is different. So kind of take us through the biggest difference for you trying to cover the Vikings 
this year from previous seasons? Well, certainly access is the number one thing, right? We are at the beck and call of the PR staffs that we work uh, with of who's going to talk on a Zoom call. So it's no longer being able to, you know, stake out in front of a player's locker if you really need somebody to get them to speak after a game or on a Monday or, you know, what have you. So I think that's the hardest part because we've kind of gotten into this very rigid, regimented routine where, you know, these interviews are a certain length it's all, you know, it's people talking over each other on Zoom calls, and it's kind of hard to gauge the things that you would normally be able to in storytelling of body language, of tone. Um, a lot of the things that you're so easily able to pick up, I mean, you can't, like, just, you know, shoot the breeze with players on Zoom interviews. They've got places to go. I mean, that was the best part about And Friday. everyone else is listening. Sometimes yeah, in the yeah. locker room, you could approach somebody for a story you wanted to write where you had proprietary information or you 100%. wanted to break something, and you can't do that. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, that's the, for me, that was one thing I got over pretty quickly this year, because of course, we're all bummed when we find out, okay, there's no locker room access. It's all going to be over Zoom. You know, you just kind of have to suck it up that everybody's going to be writing similar stories. And I think it makes you work harder with the ancillary stuff, the people around the players that you can call and and talk to one-on-one and all of that. But I will say my favorite day, as an NFL beat writer, is Friday, especially covering the Minnesota Vikings, because that's the day that they have the buffet in the locker room, so players are more likely to stay and eat and hang out, and you can approach guys casually at their lockers. Like, if I was working on a big feature, that's the day that I would find I come away with the best stuff, at least for me. Um, but, you know, somebody asked me that on a radio interview, like, how different is it now? Because the team that I cover started out one and five. Now they're five and six, trying to claw their way back into the playoff picture. Like, can you tell if the mood or the morale is different? And it's very hard. I'll say that. Like, it's just really hard to tell body language, to tell, you know, tone, even though you are hearing and seeing these players. It's just, it's just different because the way that we're communicating is so unprecedented. Um, even though, I mean, like you and I are talking right now and I don't see you and you don't see me. So, but like, we still have a conversation. We can still keep it casual. I just feel like it's so much harder to do that in a professional interview type setting, um, you know, with a zoom call, just because nobody's an expert at this yet, even though it's only been a couple months. Well, one of the things that you got asked in an interview and it reminded me when, when you talked about the 49ers, of trying to really read how guys are doing. And that can be mental health. And that can be a turnaround like the Vikings are having, where they started off terribly and they're technically still in it, right? So somebody asked you on a radio station about the body language of the players and can you feel the difference in the team now that they've started winning games? And you said you can't really. No, you can't. And and the hard thing is a memo that came out last week from the league now – you know, I live in Minnesota. It's cold here. They're inside very likely for practice for the rest of the year. Like I was one of our pool reporters. So I had a chance, like the one time I got to not even interact with them, but be in the same vicinity as players, like was at practice, whether it was outdoors or when it moves indoors, it was me and two others. Um, We can't even do that anymore. And I don't really understand why I think it was wrong for the league to do that, considering I've been in the testing protocol since August 7th and I am at minimum 100 feet away from anybody in the indoor facility. But that's the time where you can kind of gauge, all right, are they loose at practice? Or how are they feeling when they're going through a special teams period? On Friday, it's the one time you're seeing, like, actual football plays taking place, at least during a walkthrough. Like, 
what's the mood like? And it's very, very hard to judge that. And I think you're not able to. Like, I mean, of course, guys are going to be excited after a win, if they're doing well, all that. But to really gauge what's making them tick at that very moment, impossible this year. Yeah. One of the other things you mentioned was uh, something that's in the works with Jimmy Fallon. So folks were over at your house. Can you give us a little tease on that? Yeah, so I don't know if you guys were familiar with like Fallon's bit, um, "Drop It In," and it, it just, like came out like two weeks ago, where he he and his producers asked like five or six NFL players, Travis Kelsey, Dalvin Cook, Rob Gronkowski, to like fit nonsensical phrases into um, their media availability, like however however they could do it and keep a straight face. And so Dalvin Cook fit in the phrase, I run yards like Swiss chard. And of course it's, you know, find out later that this was like this big prank this elaborate prank. And I, and I asked myself, um, would he have been able to pull this off had we done it in person? Like, right. Because we all probably would have been like, excuse me, what? Like, in person, yeah. because you can hear them a lot cl- more clearly than the crappy internet connection I have. So, I mean, it um, th- that's like the one fun thing. I think there have been some fun moments on Zoom interviews. We've certainly noticed, yeah. Gronk with the syrup and Baker Mayfield dropping Ron Swanson. <laughs> well, I look forward to that Jimmy Fallon thing that you guys are doing. That should be, that should be fun. Coming up, also fun, talking to our pal Gabby Reese. It's coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Ladies night continues here on ESPN radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Without even knowing it, we scheduled all female guests. we got two female co-hosts here. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight with me, Sarah Spain here on Spain and Fitz. And our next guest uh, is either an inspiration or perhaps a a frustration, depending on your approach that day. But if you go to Gabby Reese's Instagram, she recently celebrated a a 23-year wedding anniversary with big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. And it's tough to tell which photos are a throwback and which ones are right now because they look so gosh darn good. Uh, Gabby, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Sarah. It's so good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Uh, I I appreciate you coming on, and we're we're starting with first of all the secrets to making it look like your your twenty something body is the same as forties uh, and fifties. Uh, tell us all the the magic trick. Uh, momentum. <laughs> <laughs> I just think a little bit all the time, and I'll say this that I have always said that the one thing I am pretty selfish about, even if my kids were little little, which they're not anymore was like, okay, I have 15 minutes, I'm going to do something. And it was like, that was in the one way that me, the person was selfish, you know, because like, okay, mom's going to be out in 15 minutes or, you know, whatever, but just consistency and listen, probably some genetics, but <laughs> I don't know. And maybe don't think about it too much. I think that's the other secret is I, I try not to like think about that too much or like compare to old or whatever. I've struggled with that during the pandemic. Um, the the idea of mm. oh, just fif- just fifteen minutes, go outside, go for a run, yep. um, all those things. And I, yep. I'm curious if you could just maybe spill some of your secrets with me of how sh- how can I stay motivated to stay fit during the winter months? Yep. I live up in Minnesota and it's cold. I actually just bought a treadmill and set it up the other night, so I'm proud of myself for that. Yep. But I but it just kind of it's tough right now, especially when we're all isolated and gyms are closed. Yeah, I, that's a, I think that's hard all the time. Then you had short days and cold weather, and now, you know, your treadmill turns into, like, a laundry hanger. But <laughs> I think, you know, my thing is, is, like, I always say it's, like, perspective, practice, and the notion of nothing is perfect. So perspective meaning, hey, have I decided that my health is important to me? 
yeah, it is. Okay, so what's the practice I can put in place to help me be successful? So whether it's meet somebody, let's say you have somebody that's a family member or a friend that you've kind of quarantined with, if you will, like you're going to meet at a certain time. And unless somebody's like died, you know, for no matter how you're feeling, you're going to stick to it. And, and then never, never thinking perfection is, is like your end goal or that that's the, and if you blow it one day, then you just say, okay, tomorrow. But I also think, and even though comfort food is even sort of more obvious when it's cold out, it's, we can control so much by like what we overall eat. You know, it doesn't mean never have fun, but I just mean overall that your habits kind of help you. But I always said it's like taking emotion out of it. It's almost like I think sports helps you with that, where you're just like, you wouldn't think, oh, am I going to pick up like the kid at school today? You (laughs) you know, you don't always feel like it, but you do it. And I think for whatever reason, we never think of our health as, as something that we have to covet. And if COVID didn't do one thing, it should remind us like that's one of that's the biggest asset besides like your friends and family. Yeah, I, I do think that I've heard when you're trying to create a new habit, some of the tricks, and one of them is, you know, you never think in the morning, how could I possibly brush my teeth today? Not with this weather or not with my yeah. boss being a jerk. Like you just do it because that's something that you do every day. And if you create everything else that you do in life with that same approach, then you have a lot fewer excuses and ways to weasel out of it. Uh, we're talking to a legendary yeah. volleyball player and icon for health. Uh, and for cool relationships, as she's married to a big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, um, here on Spain and Fitz, you uh, have a lot of folks come by wherever you and Laird are at any given time mm-hmm. to train with you. And I've seen photos on your Insta of all sorts of people coming in and putting in the work. Joe Kim Noah is one of those guys that's kind of in your your Malibu crew. Uh, tell me about him coming to train with you guys and then the news of him retiring, how you guys handled that. Well, um, so we call Joe Kim uh, Yuki, and he we, we met him many, many years ago, and so occasionally we'll have athletes that really want to give it a go, and um, it's been interesting to train with Yuki because he's also a really fun, special person, but when he was a lot younger, like we've probably known him for more than nine years, he wasn't the most serious, like he's serious when he plays and he wants to win, but like, you know, he's always like, Oh, chill you two, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's been interesting because he's not only gone through ups and downs, all the obvious ones we know from whether it's injuries or other things, but then like he really grew up and busted his butt. And, uh, then when he, you know, had the Achilles injury, which was the last injury, it was interesting to see somebody who decided my husband, Laird always says there's a difference between, want to and can't and it's really far out when you see an athlete where they're like i don't know what i want to do and then all of a sudden you're like doesn't matter because you can't play and then that puts Mm. it kind of in real focus so i think you know it's he he's really incredible and he's really worked hard and and grown up a ton and i think we're happy for him i think he wanted to end on a high note and um getting to be on the clippers was a was a great thing even though it's sort of an unusual environment and and you know we're happy for him but I mean, we have some far, like we have, a, we had a kid who came from um, NFL from the Texans. He's a cornerback for the, for the Texans, this guy, Philip Gaines. And he's a great athlete, kind of a, you know, just a quiet guy. And we watch him basically teach himself and train his butt off and learn to swim in the pool. Um, and it, so stuff like that just really inspires you, you know, and it's not our job. Like these athletes are, we say what's payment show up on time and work hard. So it really inspires us. 
you probably had like I don't know. Do you have a, like a certain number that you know off the top of your head of how many athletes or celebrities you've probably had come through the house? But I'm curious, like, do you have mm-hmm. somebody stand out as like this person either had like the craziest workout routine or this person I've never seen somebody work out this hard? Well, that's interesting. I think they all, you know, some of them. It's interesting. I'll tell you an interesting story. One time, uh, Kevin Durant came and and uh, you know he probably hasn't spent a ton of time in the water. And the second time he came, he, he, and he's only come a few times, uh, Joe Kim was there. And it was really interesting to see somebody who was and a jumping athlete and obviously mentally really strong, not comfortable in the water, but willing to like jump in, in the, in the deep end. And you think, I always say to these guys like that is the most courageous thing you can do. So to see that was, was really interesting to see them redirect that toughness into something else. And, also, what's the um, deep end for those guys? Like, how the, deep is the pool? Because there is no deep know, end for right? Joe Kim Noah and Kevin Durant. For them. <laughs> like, I know. Laird has an, a solution for that. He just loads them up with more weight. Um, it's about 12 <laughs> feet. So you're under, I mean, you're down there pretty good. But it is yeah. funny when you train with them. You're, like, two stroking it, and they just kind of jump. We had a water polo guy that could, you know, swim with an 80-pound dumbbell. Oh. I will toot the horn. Actually, it just came to me, and Laird can t- attest this. He's staying right by me. Jim Carrey came one time, and he you can see how tough, mentally tough and strong he is and how hard he works. And that was uh, someone that kind of just jumped out at me right now. Like, you're just like, really? Like, the comedian go, Jim go, Carrey. Go. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is a, that's a funny one. <laughs> no, it's... Get- I know, but it was like, you just go, oh, this, this guy, it's like when you, you see it about people, any kind of, any person where you just go, it's who they are right. and they the just work redirected they put at something yeah. new. Yeah. Something new. Laird's chirping yeah. about the heat and ice. It's always interesting to watch guys love not going in the ice and then you'll see guys who just go, okay, I'm going to deal with this. So that's yeah. cool too. Yeah, that's one of those things as a former athlete. I always think about the weird things you just got used to, and then there's millions of people who never did it, and one of them is just sitting in a cold tub of ice, just being miserable, and oh, yeah. you just you just get used to it. Uh, Gabby Reese is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. You're promoting something called True Niagen, um, and my buddy who, who, who messaged me about it said, you've been taking it for years, and for whatever reason, you decided to start actually talking about it. So what is what is the yeah. secret is, is this part of the uh, aforementioned secret to just looking like you and Laird in our 50s? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think nothing substitutes like all the basic stuff that we can all control, like sleep, stress, um, you know, trying to move around and eat. But then I sort of go, OK, well, if you want to talk about ways to support or cheat a little and then you get deeper into the idea of self-care and you realize it's like I know it sounds overly scientific, but self-function. And so this idea of like supporting self-function, sustainable energy. And um, I first got introduced actually to taking NAD IVs and that's not realistic to do all the time. And that's how I ended up at arriving um, at the, at the true Niagen product. And I, I know a ton of athletes and that's how I got turned on to it um, that were, they were really liking it. So that's something that I implement and you cycle it in and out. Like for me, I use it and then I, I'll take a you know a couple week break and then go again and things like that. There's only a couple things you could take all the time: turmeric and chaga mushrooms. I think that's the only two things that you're supposed to you don't have to cycle out of. How very specific. Well, I'm going to get some, and that'll be step one. Um, I've never looked like you, but I'm going to start now. I think you you mentioned the genes, so I'm, I'm out on that. And then you also mentioned momentum, so I will have to reverse mine in the opposite direction. But I have hope Settle that down. <laughs> I could get I, there. What about when you went surfing? Remember the I told uh, you the last time we talked, you had just gone surfing. 
Yeah, and I was really bummed because a friend of mine was your nanny for a long time. And when I first moved to L.A. in my early 20s, she said, well, um, my friend is Laird Hamilton. Did you guys want to learn how to surf? And I was so mortified by the idea of sucking in front of him that I said, no, like a moron. And I'm like, what? That how can you know so how cool. to do something until you've done it? Come it's on. a problem, Gabby. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Okay. Well, uh, next time I'm I nearby, know, you guys, I'm going to take him up on the offer. It's going to be a little bit uglier now, you know, 20 years later, but <laughs> we'll make it work. No, but also, I mean, Laird, Laird always does, he always says one thing why he can do so many different things is because he's willing to always start and be a student. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, just, you have to just have fun with it. It's not all so serious. And that's, I think, the one of the things that gets in the way, even with like, living healthier which is like people think oh i have to be perfect nobody's Mm -hmm. perfect you know yeah that's a great point well uh you guys look perfect so i'll just keep at least hanging out on your insta you want me to put my kids on the show they can tell you how not perfect you are i mean uh well it's uh it's it's the facade of social media we all know there's more to it but uh, we'll have fun continuing to look at it gabby thanks so much for coming on always good to catch up with you nice to hear your voice aloha you guys bye yeah say hey to Larry too Gabby Reese with us here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's Home Quote Explorer. Quote and buy all online at Progressive.com. Coming up, college football, a couple notes on that. Also, Paul George made some interesting comments about the Clippers. We'll get into that next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. About the NFL earlier and whether or not they might make it the whole regular season without canceling a game 55.6% 55.6% of you at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, 55.6% of you said no, they will not make it to the end without a canceled game. 44.4 said yes. Most of you rightly said they are going to do everything they can to get the TV money that they get uh, from playing those games regardless. And that's how I think it's going to go. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. It's V Week, and during these challenging times, ESPN and the V Foundation's fight against cancer has not stopped. If you're able, please support cancer research by visiting v.org slash donate. 100% of what you give goes to cancer research. Uh, quickly, I want to ask you, we were going to talk about this on Around the Horn today. Didn't end up having time. Um, but uh, the Big Ten situation with Ohio State, where it feels like there's a possibility uh, there would need to be uh, mountains moved uh, in terms of canceled games over the next two weeks for them to be eligible and for the rules to change, uh, as originally stated, of number of games that must be played to be eligible for the Big Ten championship. So it's 2020. Uh, there are no rules. Everything's weird and crazy and wild, and we all anticipate eventually returning to normal. But in the meantime, we've gotten used to things being vastly different. So how meaningful would it be if the Big Ten did say, okay, we were wrong, we shouldn't have boxed ourselves in before, we're just going to move away from what we said before to make sure that Ohio State, which we believe to be the best team, gets in the championship? I mean, there's going to be a lot of angry Northwestern fans for the simple fact of like the Ohio state getting the favoritism, which I know um, has kind of been the argument here of how badly the big 10 screwed up with the initial decision of, you know, you have to like, they're what, like one of two conferences that have the qualifier being, you know, playing six games for the playing in the championship, but they never should have made that rule in the first place. Granted, there's so many other things that we could say that they should have done, like building in flexibility with the schedule, giving teams open weeks, buys, the whole thing, um, allowing the games to be ma- that were canceled to be made up. 
But I don't know. I mean, I, I know that things have changed here literally on a weekly basis with the NFL and all the COVID protocols. Like one week it's one thing, and then two weeks later it's completely different. Um, but in college football, I just can't see that being met with such you know widespread acceptance uh, of everybody – who is a fan of any Big Ten team. But I also understand it because the Big Ten feels like they have, and they clearly do according to the college football playoff rankings that came out again yesterday, one of the best four teams uh, yeah. in the country. And they, there's no way that the committee is not going to take a Big Ten champion into the, you know, the top four. At well, the I think – I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think if they weren't able to play and it ended up being a team that they did not think was top four – then they would take Ohio State instead because they'd still be eligible for the playoffs even if they didn't play in the Big Ten Championship. I think a lot of it is the money lost for the Big Ten sure. um, by not having the best team. And because I think it's clear that they are heads and tails above the rest, there, there's an argument for a couple other good teams. But Ohio State has been the best from the, from start to finish. So even though there might be some frustration with the rules changing. There's also sort of an acceptance and an understanding of, well, yeah, that makes sense, though, because of who they are, which is different than, say, a playoff committee decision where there's a real argument to be made for a number of different teams and everyone's going to be mad about it. This one, at least the argument is pretty solid that they are the best and should be in it. Um, so I think they're going to end up doing that. But it does, of course, open the door ajar for, you know, throw all the rules out and do whatever you want, which, to be fair, is kind of what the college football season has looked like already. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, we talked about that big John Wall, uh, Russell Westbrook trade earlier, but one aspect uh, of the shifts around the uh, the uh, the NBA, including the Lakers signing LeBron and Anthony Davis for the next couple years, signing the sixth man of the year, the runner-up for sixth man of the year, just getting stronger in the offseason. What does that mean for the other teams, including the one that a lot of us positioned ahead of the Lakers before last season started, and that was the Clippers. It felt like, oh, they're putting together a team. They have much more depth than the Lakers. Even if their top one, two aren't quite as good, they're a better team. Once they have everybody healthy and ready to go, uh-uh, didn't work out. And Jay Williams responded to Paul George going on the uh, all, all the Smoke podcast and essentially saying Doc Rivers didn't use him right, and Doc Rivers is part of the reason that they didn't make adjustments. And now that he's gone, maybe things will change. So, Courtney, you combine that with the athletic story that says that Paul George and Kawhi got to dictate practices, when and where and how many, whether they got to play, even within games, whether they were willing to go in. They were often late. This feels like there's a lack of leadership at the top from the players, but the coaches as well. Can this be fixed before next year? You'd like or this think, year, I suppose. <laughs> you'd like to think so, given how quickly the season's like upon us. But, you know, I agree with, with uh, Jay Will on that, just because if there was such a big problem in hindsight, why wouldn't you go try to fix it in the middle of the season when it was all coming undone. I mean, the NBA is built around its superstars. We know that. Like, So the Athletic article, I read it. Um, none of that really surprises me that Kawhi and Paul George were dictating how things go. I mean, that's just superstar talent. That's what happens. But, you know, lack of leadership, yeah, I can totally see that just given what the comments were. Nice to throw Doc under the bus on his way out and assume Seriously. things get better with someone new. But we'll have to wait and see if he was indeed the problem or if it's much more than that. Like, I don't know, shooting Ofer as the two stars in the fourth quarter of an elimination game. That might be part of it. Uh, we'll have a lot of time to talk about what the Clippers are going to look like coming up. But Freddie and Fitzsimmons are going to take over for us. Courtney, thanks for hanging out. Nice to have you back. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.